Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. Really glad you guys are here with us this morning. Last week, we began our Advent series, our Christmas series, called Do Not Be Afraid. And we began by looking at Mary's story, and we saw how Mary very well could have been this worried woman. She could have been worried about the circumstance that she was entering into. She could have been worried about the very thing that God was calling her to do. But instead, God's message to her was, do not be afraid. And this morning, we're going to continue by looking at Joseph's story. It found in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. But for, for a moment, before we turn there, before we jump into that, I just want, want you to think about those moments in your life. Have you ever had an unbelievable moment, like where you look at your person next to you and you say, no way that just happened? Have you ever had a moment like that? We've got a couple clips of some of these moments like this going on uh, in people's lives where they have this moment and it's like, I, I have no idea what's going on here, like what just happened? Uh, some of these crazy things that happen in people's lives where uh, do we have the video to go? All right, let's, let's run the video here. I mean, watch some of these as people are... You walk away from that and you're like, no way that just happened. Oh, this one's crazy. Standing there, has no idea. Yeah, your heart drops a little bit inside and you can't believe what just happened. So close. This one is unbelievable. Imagine going home and telling your spouse that this just happened to you. They're going to say, there's no way that happened. There's no way you were that close. Oh, this one's my favorite. Talk about some unbelievable moments. Imagine, imagine sitting next to that person at dinner as they're recounting their day and they're telling you what happened. You're going to say, there's no way. There's no way that happened to you. I don't believe it. It's too unbelievable. And that's where we find Joseph this morning. Imagine being Joseph and, and Mary comes to you after the angel has visited her and she says, hey, uh, honey, I know we're in love and I know we've got about a year until we're married. Um, but by the way, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, this isn't by human hands. This is, um, this is God's doing. This is going to be the Messiah. Uh, how many of you are going to buy that story? Right? If, if, you, if you buy that, I got some oceanfront property for you in Arizona that I'd love to sell you. Uh, it's, it's just this unbelievable story. And so we find this man, Joseph. We find this man, Joseph, who is hesitant to believe her. And this morning, we're going to look at how fear at times might cause us to hesitate. And we're going to see what God does in our life to help us overcome that hesitation. And we're going to learn from Joseph's story. Such an amazing story. Turn with me in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce, divorce her secretly. So what's going on here? What we have is, is if there was ever a man who had reason to get cold feet, it was Joseph. He's living uh, in this betrothal period, an engagement period in those times. It was much more serious than what we go through today. In fact, Mary, as his betrothed spouse, would have had every single right 
that a, a wife would have had. The only difference was that they had not come together to live together yet. They weren't living together yet. It was a one-year trial period. It was this betrothal period. The only way to end this betrothal and the, the pending marriage was through divorce. So it was taken very seriously. She had all the rights and privileges. If Joseph were to die during this period, she would get all of his stuff. She would be considered a widow. She would be, uh, have all of those rights, legal rights and privileges. And yet here we find that during this time, during this time, it's found that she's pregnant. This is the woman that he has been dreaming about. This is a woman that, that he deeply cares about. I, th- I think we see very clearly that, that Joseph cared about her in the way that he was planning to handle this. Um, Deuteronomy 22, according to the Old Testament law, says that Mary should be taken outside the city and stoned to death. But Joseph, I believe, not only because he's a righteous man, but also because he cares for Mary, doesn't want to see anything bad happen to her. So his plan is to send her away quietly without embarrassing her in front of the whole town, without embarrassing her for the rest of her life. Uh, and he gets this incredible news. He sa- and Mary says, look, it's not by human hands that I'm pregnant. It's not by any man, but this is the work of God in my life. And as righteous as Joseph is, as a godly man as he is, he just can't bring himself to believe that story because it is an unbelievable story. It is an unbelievable story that, that has been shared with him, an unbelievable message that this woman that he loves is pregnant. And the one that is coming, it, this isn't done by human hands, this is the work of God, and this, the child that is within her is going to be the long-promised Messiah, the one that the people of Israel have been waiting for for thousands of years. And he hears this and he says, you know what, as Mary, as much as I love you, this message is just too unbelievable. It's too unbelievable. And so he, he begins to walk away. You have to imagine what he's thinking. Uh, this angel Gabriel comes to you? Really, Mary? Like, that's the best you can come up with? And how could it be? I know all the things that, that God has said about the Messiah. What, what kind of man he's going to be? He's going to be a king. He's going to be a ruler. He's going to be powerful. He's going to save all of Israel. How could it be that an illegitimate child could be of any significance? That an illegitimate child, how could it possibly be that this would be the promised Messiah? How could that be? How could this son born out of wedlock possibly be the one who's going to save his people? Mary, that message is unbelievable. That message is just just too unbelievable. It reminds me of the princess bride, right? About the conception. uh, Inconceivable, right? The conception is inconceivable. I just can't, I, I can't believe it. There's no way this could be reality. Now, it says that Joseph was a righteous man, and when it uses that word righteous, it doesn't mean that he was sinless. It just means that he lived according to the standards of the law given to God's people in the Old Testament, God's people being the people of Israel, the law that was given to Moses all the way back in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And and we know that Joseph was a kind man, not wanting to embarrass Mary. Uh, he He was going to reject this message. He was going to send her away in spite of being a man who knew what the word of God said. Uh, He just couldn't bring himself to believe this message. And then something happens in the next few verses. Let's look, continuing in verse 20. It says, 
But after he had considered these things, after he considered divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. We see here that God, God has something special in plan for Joseph as well. That because the message was so unbelievable to Joseph that God understands that it's going to take an intervention by God. That some way God is going to have to intervene in Joseph's life, in Joseph's life, and bring clarity to the message, so that Joseph can understand. The message of the gospel comes to Joseph, and it's so incredible, so unbelievable to him that he almost turns away from it. He says, "There's no way this could possibly be, but God, in His grace, in His mercy, and His patience, sends an angel to calm the fears of Joseph." The angel comes to him in the dream and says, "Joseph." Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know it doesn't make sense to you, but God is at work. God is at work. I'm here to bring clarity to the message that that Mary has already told you. And I want you to understand that, that this, this Joseph is what God promised long ago. And so that you understand what you're dealing with here, I want to make some promises to you. I love this, that he tells Joseph that you're to name the baby Jesus. We said last week that Jesus means Yahweh saves. A lot of times that word Yahweh is translated Jehovah in the English. Jehovah saves. Yahweh, the very personal name of God that's given to Moses. When Moses is on the mountain in the Old Testament and he's standing before that burning bush and God says, I want you to go and I want you to deliver my people out of slavery. Moses says, well, who am I supposed to tell these people has sent me? And he says, tell them Yahweh has sent you. I am, has sent you, the very personal name of God. And when Joseph hears this, I imagine that that he knows Jesus was not an uncommon name, but hearing the word Jesus, hearing the word Yahweh saves, is a reminder to him not only of of the the, uh, reality of what's about to happen, that this this baby that's going to be born is going to be a savior, but it reminds him of, of the God who makes covenants, the God who fulfilled his promises because Yahweh was a covenant-making God. He made lots of covenants with the people of the Old Testament. He made a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant uh, with Adam and Eve, with a, a promise that one day Eve's son, a, a boy born of, of a woman, will crush the serpent's head. The very first promise of the Messiah. He makes Abraham a promise that through his offspring, all nations will be blessed. He makes a promise to David that he will have an heir that will sit on the throne forever. And and I imagine that Joseph's mind may have run immediately back to Jeremiah 31, where God promises that there will come a day when he's going to send a savior. Verse 34, he says, this is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sins. Talk about salvation. See, many people in Joseph's day were expecting just a mighty, powerful king. We see that the angel says, Joseph, son of David. We know that Joseph was in the line of David. 
that this son to be born was, would also be considered an heir to the throne in the line of David. And so while the people were expecting a savior that would come and rescue them from the Roman oppression, God says, no, I have something much bigger in mind. And it seemed so unbelievable because the people were expecting one thing, yet God decides to work in another way. And he says, I know you're expecting this mighty conquering warrior of a king, um, but your deliverance from the Roman people is not your greatest need. Your greatest need is to be delivered from your sin, and that's what I'm sending you. But don't worry, because I am a God who fulfills my promise. There will be a day when I will send him again, and he will reign, and he will rule. He will be that conquering king that you're looking for. But in the first coming of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate is that he came and he saves us. He rescues us from our sin. We see that very clearly in the name of Jesus. And so we have this man who's received some unbelievable news. It takes an intervention by God to enter into his life and help bring clarity to the message. And now we're left with, with wondering, how will Joseph respond? How will Joseph respond? Let's look at verse 24. In 25, when Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. What is Joseph's response? Joseph's response is a fully surrendered and obedient heart. A fully surrendered and obedient heart. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us that it says that... It, when he woke from sleeping, that he took Mary to be his wife. But this is a big deal. Remember, culturally, they were supposed to have a one-year betrothal period. And Joseph says, you know what? I know this is what the cultural uh, custom is. I know this is what the, the law of the land is. But you know what? I need to bring her home as my wife now. I'm going to break the custom. I'm going to go against what everybody says I need to do. And because God has told me to do something, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it right away. I'm going to bring her into my home. I don't care what other people think. I don't care if they look down on me and Mary for the rest of my life. I am going to do what I know God has called me to do. Many of you know that with our kids, we ask them to obey the first time with a happy heart. We tell them, look, you, mommy and daddy expect you to obey us the first time with a happy heart. And they know what the consequence is if they don't. They know what happens. Uh, and, and one of the reasons we tell them all the time, okay, why do mommy and daddy ask you to obey the first time with a happy heart? And the explanation we give them is because someday God is going to ask them to do something. And they have to learn to obey him the first time with a happy heart. And I think Joseph gives us a beautiful picture of that, of what it looks like to obey God the first time with a happy heart. He immediately gets up. He wakes from his sleep. It says, when he got up from his sleep, he did as the Lord's angel commanded, and he married her. He doesn't waste any time. He doesn't waste any time. He doesn't care what his family thinks. He doesn't care what the rest of the town thinks. He says, you know what? God has called me to this. He's brought clarity to the message. He, he was gracious enough to help, help me understand, and he intervenes in my life. I'm going to obey the first time with a happy heart. And then we know later, once the baby is born, what does he do? He did exactly what God called him to do. He named him Jesus. He's obeyed. He has fully surrendered to the Lord's plan and said, I know this is not what I expected. I know this is not how I would have done it, Lord, but God, this is your plan. I can recognize that and I surrender to that. 
and I will follow you. Um, And it amazes me that we have this man who started out hesitant to believe the good news when it was delivered to him. And now we see through God's gracious intervention in his life, it brings him to a point where he's fully surrendered and obeying the word of the Lord. I know there are many here this morning who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And, and for you, uh, you believe a lot of things. You believe that what God's word says is true. You believe that Jesus Christ is the sinless son of God who was born came to this earth, was born, lived a sinless life. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And and you believe all of those things, and you believe that his death was enough to pay the penalty for your sin, and that by trusting in him our sins are forgiven. You believe that. You believe that. And I know that you believe that, but my question to you this morning is, are there other promises of God that perhaps you have been hesitant to believe? Are there other areas of your life, you're willing to trust God with your salvation, but there may be other areas of your life where you're hesitant to believe God. Maybe there's an area of your life, last week we talked about worry, we saw how Mary was worried, and there's an area of your life that has you worried, and you're not able to grasp the peace that God desires for you. Let's look at what God's word says. Um, Those of you who may be hesitant to believe peace, let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah says this in verse uh, chapter 26, verse 3. He says, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace for it is trusting you. We have another verse, Psalm 119, 165. I love this one. It says this, Psalm 119, 165. Do we have that? We don't have that one. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we see temptation. There are those of you who believe that when I'm tempted, I, I, there's nothing I can do. I just can't go on. Uh, when I'm tempted, I have no, no control but to give, give in to my temptation. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. God says, I will provide for you. Hebrews 2, 18 is another verse where God promises that he will uh, provide for us in those moments. It says, "For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. We don't have to give in to our temptation. There are some here this morning who may be struggling in your marriage. You're struggling to, to see how your marriage could be Uh, what God desires for it to be. And you fail to to trust in the promises of God. In passages like Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, which I believe really sets up the passage that follows, verse 21 of chapter 5 in Ephesians, Paul says, Submit yourselves one to another as unto the Lord. And you're wondering, how, how can my marriage be better? You don't understand what a jerk my husband, husband can be. You don't understand how disrespectful my wife can be. If I submit to her, there's no way that, it, that it's going to work out well. If I submit to him, there's no way that it's going to work out well. And we go on and we read in Ephesians 5 that Paul's instruction, God's instruction to us as men is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. 
that we are to love our wives so much that we would lay down our lives for her. And I don't think that that only means physically giving up our lives to protect her. I think it means giving up our rights and privileges, thinking that, well, she needs to serve me. No, it means we serve her. And there are men here that they want that good marriage, but they just can't trust God. They're hesitant to trust God's promise that if I will put my wife first, if I will serve her in the Lord, that things will improve. And there are ladies here this morning who say, if I submit to my husband, you don't know how, how awful he can be. There's no way that I can submit myself to him. And you're hesitant to believe God's promise, yet God's word is clear to us that when we live according to his statutes and his plans, that life is different. There's some here this morning, Christmas is coming up, and you're not sure how you're going to handle the extra load this month of buying gifts. And you're hesitant to believe God, God's word when it comes to finances. But Psalm 34 says this, You who are his holy ones, fear Yahweh, for those who fear him lack nothing. Those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack anything good. God will provide for your needs. He probably won't provide like uh, a season to remember whatever the Lexus is. Like I don't expect to get the Lexus with the bow on the front. But you can trust that God will provide for your needs. Malachi chapter 3 says this. uh, We're told to bring the full tithe, one-tenth, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. God says, test me in this way and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. And you're wondering, Lord, I don't know how we're going to make it this month. But God says, look, if you will trust me with the first tenth, first 10%, you'll find that I, as God, can do more with 90% than you could do with 100%. Will you trust me in this? Will you trust me in this area? Uh, We also find, if you're anything like myself, Anybody ever feel like you lack wisdom? You lack wisdom. God's promise to us in James chapter 1 verse 5 is this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. Yet we're hesitant to believe that promise. We're hesitant to seek God first. We'll, we'll go anywhere and everywhere but God first. We'll call our spouse, we'll call a friend, we'll call someone in our community group, we'll call a parent and say, what do you think I should do in this situation instead of seeking the Lord first and saying, God, would you give me wisdom? Lord, grant me the wisdom to know what to do. Many of us even struggle with grace. We struggle with this idea that, that Christ was sufficient for us. And that there's nothing else that we have to do to earn God's favor. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, it's very tempting for us to find ourselves in this trap. Galatians chapter 2.16 says this. It says, Know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Because... By the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Yet there is something inside of us, myself included, from time to time that I think if I could just do this good thing for God, he would love me more. If I could just stop doing this bad thing, God would love me more. Yet what does the word of God say? What is his promise to us? 
that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is nothing we can do to make him love us any more or any less. Does that mean that we shouldn't obey? Absolutely not. We strive to obey as a way to honor him and to glorify him because of his unconditional love for us. But the word of God tells us that for those who have put their trust in Christ Jesus, that we don't have to continue trying to earn God's favor. He loves us just the way we are. There was one other one this this past week as I was putting this message together. Stephen and I were talking about it. uh, And then our our alarms went off at 10.02. And I thought, you know, that's a really good one. Luke 10.2, the harvest and the laborers. I think sometimes perhaps we're hesitant to believe God's word and what Jesus says to us, that the harvest is plentiful, that there are many men, women, and children around us every single day who are dying and on their way to hell because they have not put their trust in Jesus Christ, yet they are ripe for the harvest. If people around them, those who do know Jesus Christ, those who are followers of Jesus Christ would just begin a conversation with them and begin demonstrating the gospel to them, begin explaining the gospel to them, that they are ripe for the harvest and that they would put their trust in Jesus Christ and their entire uh, eternity would be changed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe these promises are true? I can't remember who who said this quote. I I would love to take credit for it. I've Googled it a million times trying to find who said this, uh, and I can't find anyone who said anything like this. So maybe I did make it up. Um, It sounds too good to be something I made up, so I'm pretty sure someone else said this before. But the quote is this, what I practice daily is what I believe. The rest is merely religious talk. What I practice daily is what I believe. The rest is merely religious talk. So as we look at this long list of promises... My question to you is, do your actions reflect the reality that you believe these promises? And we can be honest that we all have those moments where we are hesitant to believe. And it takes an intervention by God to enter into our lives and bring us to a point of full surrender and obedience. But here's the thing, I I truly believe that as we fully surrender and obey the Lord, the easier it is to, to look back and see, okay, God, I see that you provided over here. I see that you fulfilled your promise over here. And so that's going to help me surrender and obey as I move forward, knowing that you're going to see me through this one as well. Knowing that you're going to bring me through. I, I just want to challenge you, as, as you look through these promises this, past, this upcoming week, think through, do my actions really demonstrate that I believe these promises of God? The easiest one for me to point to is the harvest and the laborers. Uh, If you believe that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, are you engaged in the work? Are you doing the work? Are you calling people, inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ? To me, that's one of the easiest ones to look to. Um, 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says this. As we embrace, uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 4 talks about how we have the promises, we have the very great and precious promises of God. That through them, as we participate them, it helps us escape the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. 
And so this verse tells us that as we cling to the promises of God, as we begin to engage and begin to live out the promises of God, the more we rely on them, the more God transforms us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. The more we cling to his promises, the more we become like him. And those sinful desires that well up in us, which if I'm honest, the, the most sinful desire that I have regularly is the desire to not believe God and take God at his word and obey him. That those sinful desires begin to fade away because God will be transforming us into the likeness of his son. I've spoken quite a bit to those of you here here this morning who are believers, who've put your trust in Christ in all those areas where perhaps we know what the word of God says, but we're a little hesitant. I want to speak for just a moment for those of you here this morning who have perhaps yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And like Joseph, you find this story of a, of a baby being born of a virgin, living a whole life without sin, dying on a cross, that to you, that, that's just unbelievable. Or perhaps to you, the unbelievable part is that this is, this is a free gift, that there's nothing you have to do, that you can't earn God's favor because everything that you've experienced in your life says that if I'm going to get someone to like me, I have to do something for them. And yet the gospel is this unbelievable message that says the God of the universe loves you so much that he was willing to send his own son to die and pay the penalty for your sins and that you don't have to do anything to earn his forgiveness. All you have to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ. Believe that his death was sufficient. And for you, this message is unbelievable. Norman Geisler is a a famous apologist, Uh, Christian apologist and theologian, and he says this, one who claims to be a skeptic of one set of beliefs is actually a true believer in another set of beliefs. If you're skeptical of, of this message, there must be some other message that you believe. And I want to encourage you with some, some of God's word. Romans chapter 5 is one of my favorite passages. Chapter 6 is my absolute favorite passage in all of Scripture. I encourage you to, to go home and read that this week. But Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, um, Paul is talking about how, how sin entered the world through Adam. Adam and Eve sinned, and so sin enters the world. And then he talks about how salvation for all who have sinned enters the world through one man, Jesus. And he says this, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin like in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is the prototype of the coming one. The gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the, have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from sin... Came, from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. How much more? How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, As through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is life-giving justification for everyone. God's message to you this morning is this, that, that sin entered the world through one man, 
Every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we know the reality of our own sinfulness. We know that at some point we have messed up. We have messed up. And God's word tells us that that is enough to separate us from God for the rest of our lives. Not just here on earth, but for all eternity. But the good news that God delivers to us is this, that it is a gift. Over and over again, you'll see words, grace, the gift of righteousness, life-giving justification. That this is a gift that God extends to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That he has paid the penalty for us. There's nothing more that we have to do to try to earn God's favor. Earlier in Romans chapter 3, God's word tells us this, but now apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed. Attested by the law and the prophets, that is, God's righteousness through faith, through faith, not by works, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who, what? Believe, trust, have faith. To all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified, how? Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Jesus Christ. This is a free gift that God offers you. I want you to imagine on Christmas morning, someone, someone gives you a gift, you open it, and then you pull out your wallet and say, here, let me, let me pay you back for this. How's that going to go over? It would be insulted. God's gift of salvation, forgiveness of our sins, relationship with God, eternal life is a free gift. We can't buy it, we can't trade for it, and we can't earn it. We must simply believe. We simply put our trust in Christ and Christ alone, and it's ours. And I understand that that is an unbelievable message for many. And it takes an intervention by God. I believe that if you are honest with yourself and you seek the Lord, that the Holy Spirit will convict you. He will bring you to a point of understanding. And I believe for those of you here this morning who are praying for friends and family members and co-workers who don't know Christ, don't miss this. Mary was the apple of Joseph's eye. He loved her. And not even Mary could, could force Joseph to believe the promise, to believe the message. She couldn't twist his arm. She couldn't make him believe. So as we pray this Christmas about those in our lives that God has placed around us who have yet to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, I think the biggest thing that we can pray for is that God would enter into their lives. We know that it takes an act of God to bring someone to the point where they understand the message. They may have heard the gospel many times, but it takes an intervention by God to bring them to a point where they can understand the message and then be fully surrendered and obedient. My challenge to us this morning is, what are you hesitant to believe God about? What have you been hesitant to believe God about? Whatever it is, I'd encourage you to open the word of, of God, use an online concordance, whatever you need to do to find verses about God's promises to you in that area, to see what the word says. And then to respond as Joseph did, fully surrendered and obedient, living out those promises day by day, clinging to those promises, knowing that, that God's word to you is don't hesitate, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to trust my promises. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be afraid. That even in those moments where your promises seem so unreal, so unbelievable, that there's no way this could possibly be, Lord, we trust that you are the covenant-making God, that you are the God who fulfills his promises. Lord, I pray that you would help us this week, that our actions would be in line with, with what we say we believe, that we would be able to put our trust in you and to walk with you. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who have yet to put their trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I understand that this message of salvation by grace through faith is a free gift, that we don't have to work for it, that we don't have to earn it, is unbelievable to many. But Lord, I, I believe that you are at work, and I believe that your spirit is at work, entering into those lives, bringing conviction that, that we are all sinners, and that apart from an intervention by God himself, we are destined to be separated from you for all eternity. But we give thanks because we know that you did intervene through your son, Jesus Christ, sending him to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And that your word affirms that it is simply by trusting in him that we are saved. Lord, as we celebrate Christmas this year, I pray that you would help us to remember that good news. For those who are in Christ, Lord, give us the boldness, the courage, the faith to step out and to share that message with those around us. I pray all this in Jesus' name.